Yep. Hello, this is a prepaid call from Bobby. This call is from a correction facility and is subject to monitoring and recording. If you feel you're being victimized or extorted by this prisoner, please contact GTL Customer Service. To accept this call, press zero. This is probably my most ambitious and tricky podcast episode. There was, of course, the interview I did with a teenage non-offending paedophile who was head boy of his school, and I had to slightly alter his voice, and the chat with a female Mormon psychopath who put sellotape over her camera for her anonymity. But for today's episode, I spoke directly with convict Bobby Caldwell in Michigan prison. After suffering for years with crippling depression, Bobby made headlines around the world when he accidentally shot and killed his partner, Monica Anderson, 28, in a botched and drunken suicide attempt. He pleaded guilty to involuntary murder and was sentenced to a maximum of 17 years, of which he served six. Monica left behind two children, one of whom is Bobby's son. Friends remember her for her outgoing, vivacious nature and her baking abilities. She even competed in a cake festival and dreamed of opening her own cake business. Bobby came to my attention through his own podcast, Notes from the Pen, which he records via phone calls with his friend Freddie on the outside. It's a fascinating and unique look behind the bars, giving us an insight into daily life, social hierarchies, and Bobby's evolving thoughts on life and what happened that fateful day. Getting through to Bobby for the podcast was extremely complicated. First, I signed up to a service that sends letters to inmates on your behalf, and I purchased $5 worth of stamps so that he could write back to me. It takes a few days for each letter to arrive and then another few days to receive a reply, so you really have to think about what you want to say. It's a hark back to the olden days before email. Bobby got back to me and his mum got in touch on Twitter as we tried to figure out how to arrange it. I'm based in Berlin, six hours ahead of him, and he only gets a few time slots per day when he's free to make calls. We decided to do it on his 2pm break, which was after dinner for me. Then I had to sign up to an account on another system that allows inmates to call you. It only works from the US, so I had to buy my own US phone number through Skype. The website then wouldn't let me make an account, so I had to use Bobby's mum's account, and so she paid a good few dollars for our call, and she won't seem to let me pay her back. I think she'll be listening, so I'll just say please get a PayPal account so I can do so, but thank you very much for organising everything. Then it was just a waiting game to see if this would actually work. It seemed mad to me that a guy in Michigan could type a few numbers on the prison phone and be connected to an American number through an app on my German phone in Berlin. So I sat there nervously for a while and the call came through. I was shocked. Then it reads you out this whole spiel about whether you're being manipulated. We had several problems with it and I won't bore you by including recordings of all the times it didn't work. We forget that they obviously don't have access to mobile phones, internet or anything like that Bobby can't even listen back to this or his own podcast. So it was crazy complicated. The quality of his audio doesn't sound great, but does get a little better after the first part as I move from my phone onto my computer. To add to all of this, my chair broke and started making creaky noises, so you might want to wait until you're in a quiet environment to be able to enjoy this. Usually I put a few video teasers on social media, AndrewGold underscore OK on Twitter and Instagram, but for this, I've obviously just got the audio trailers. The episode was also complicated for journalistic reasons. When some people hear that the bullets from Bobby's gun travelled up the stairs and hit Monica in the side of her back, they're sceptical about whether it was an accident. 
We've all seen enough documentaries and films about that kind of thing. I racked my brain for days about whether or not to bring that up. The authorities, who actually examined the case, believe he was negligent, which he admits, but did not intend to shoot her. I'm not a judge, and even the slightest hint of an opinion from me about intent would be totally irresponsible on my part and extremely damaging to Bobby, who is paying an awful price for what, by all accounts, was a terrible accident. At the same time, I wouldn't be doing my job as a journalist if I didn't at least broach the fact that some people might not believe him. You as a listener would be screaming at me from behind your screens about such a large elephant in the room. I think asking him about it also gave him a chance to explain and defend himself. It's something that really bothers him, quite understandably. Despite this being such a serious topic, I wanted to start with a lighter note so that we could get to know each other a little before delving into the worst night of his life. So we do now talk about privacy, defecation and masturbation in a state prison. Is it a real hellhole? I don't know. I, I have this feeling that if you're in extreme situations for long enough, you reach like an emotional baseline. I think you have to kind of level out. The, the closest thing I can guess to it is like someone in war. Mm. I feel like you think you know what war is going to be like, and it's chaotic and terrifying maybe for a minute, but your, your system can't keep up with that terror, that constant panic and shit. So you end up normalizing everything. So it's hard for me. I, I wouldn't describe it as a hellhole. Mm. Um, but... If I, descri- if I went ahead and described a lot of things that happened, you probably would. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm a bit biased. But the fact is that the progress I've made hasn't been aided by our prison system. It's been in spite of it. How long have you been there? Uh, I've been locked up since 2013. Okay. And how long left, do you think? Uh, 2025. So like five years. I'm almost under five years now. I saw that Michigan is like one of, one of three states that doesn't have earned time. What does earned time actually mean? Earn time is a tool that everyone else has figured, and so has every dog trainer on the planet, that positive reinforcement is a useful tool for curbing behavior. And, uh, of course, I'm in one of the only states, definitely the most popular states, that doesn't use it. So it works like every month you stay infraction-free or ticket-free, meaning like you're not getting in trouble, you're not drinking or fighting or whatever. You'll get like, it's like a sliding scale, like the first two years you'll get two days off of your sentence every month, and then... You know, it's, it, it's just positive reinforcement for basically proving you can um, curb your behavior and change some of your tendencies and past. And it's to me, from being here, I have a whole new perspective. You know, I, I, was, I wasn't jaded about, I knew prison was messed up and stuff, but coming here, like, you see it so much more clearly. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, uh, when, when, there's, when you have mass incarceration, you can't really afford rehabilitation, right? Because there's too many people. Yeah. So in place of that, the bare, the bare minimum, the baseline is good time or earned credit. And Michigan, you know, during a little bit after the, the tough on the, the crime act of 94 that like Clinton pushed through, um, you know, everyone was caught up in that emotional fervor and, and wanted to be harsher on crime. And so they got rid of the one incentive to um, stay out of trouble. It seems so obvious that earned time is a, a good principle to have in a prison. Um Tell me, so do you ever get privacy? Is it, I mean, I, you, you mentioned people could see you meditating through the bars in, in, in prison. Is it, is it a situation where you can see into each other's rooms the whole time? Yeah, absolutely. Because our toilets are, are in ourselves. Mm. So when you have to take a shit, the common courtesy is to take a blanket 
and wedge it through through like the corner of your one bar and then drape it across so you can have a little privacy. But you know, you you're not technically allowed to do that. The last ticket I caught was for doing that. Oh my god! You need to take this down. And it's like, well, I'm not okay. Well, write the ticket because I'm not taking it down until I'm kind of shitting. So what what about yes. um, in prison in general? I mean, it's a bit of a, a question to ask, but I mean, the the a sexual release or anything like that is it a similar situation with the blanket? Yeah, so so we have catwalks in the front and in the back. If you go on my website, I believe there's a picture of like a cell that's actually was at that they took at this prison. Mm. So there's bars in the front and back of our cell. Fucking hell! And the back ca- the back catwalk is like a there's just a wall, you know, it's just a small catwalk and then an exterior wall. Mm. So that's only for the COs can walk through the back part, and, and it's basically to, to walk back there to do rounds and kind of catch you. Well, like when you need uh, to to have some self release. <laughs> Yeah. As you'd say, you hang the sheet up or the blanket up and you take care of business. Well, the first time since I've been here, I'm doing my deeds and uh, I just see a flash behind me and I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. All right. So I'm like yelling through the bars like, all right, hope you enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> and what will happen a lot of times is they'll come up out front and go, you all right in there? And so uh, whenever I hear them do that to my neighbor or something, I'll just wait for the CEO to walk off and I'll go, Wow, man, again, you're doing it again today? <laughs> <laughs> Prison full of testosterone. Are you in with, because um, so you're in for manslaughter. Do they separate people? Are you next to somebody who's like a mass murderer or something? Or is, are people generally sort of separated into the types of crimes they committed? I'm in a level one prison now. This is my first level one. Mm. We just say minimum security prison. And um, this is the first time I've had my own cell. And the ma- It's weird. So when you come down, if you have over a certain amount of time to do, like, I came down with 11 and a half years. So if you have over seven years, you have to go to a maximum security prison. And you have a bunkie there. Um, so it's two of you in a cell. On and um, there, no, you're not, you're, not, you're not separated by your crime. So you're there. Well, some of my best friends have natural life sentences. Like, they'll never get out. They can't come to a level one. So I, all those years I've been in higher levels, and then now I'm down to a level one. So there's, there's people that are in for murder, but they've walked their sentence down as we say so they're on the lower end of their sentence and now they're qualified to come here but people with life sentences can't come here but there yeah there's murderers and there's everything here yeah they don't really separate separate you unless you know you're in here for a a sexual crime and you raped a kid or something and and you get stabbed a bunch of places then they'll put you in pc protective custody okay and so do, do you find it is it okay getting on with people like that is in prison is everyone different i mean the movies they always say when you go into prison, you need to sort of show who you are. You've got to, you've got to get in a couple of fights or something. Is it like that at all? Uh, yeah, to an extent it is. It's not as cliche as like if you were to show up and go run and punch the biggest guy you've seen, you would probably get stabbed a bunch of times, <sighs> like immediately, like really soon. But if you're tested, and you will be tested at some point, and you, it's real predatory in here, right? So there's like this real caveman, animalistic um, sense of... Uh, um, potential victim and, and non-victim, basically. And if you get tried or, or disrespected and you don't do anything back, now you're you're just you drop into that lower category. And it's been fine for me. When I came to prison, I had I'm not I wasn't a career criminal or anything, but I also wasn't a choir boy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I have fully tattooed up. You know, I was tattooed in the world, and I knew I've never been a pushover or a softy. So I didn't really have to. A lot of it is is just 
based on your vibe and how you look too, it will get you a long way. If you show up here and you're six foot four, tattooed from neck to nuts, and you're big, giant, you know, you got twenty four inch arms and stuff, people aren't gonna look to like push you around because you know they might be on the losing end of something. It's all about you know the social currency in here. As you get your ass beat and don't do anything, or you get stabbed and don't do anything, then. Yeah, I mean, I am six foot four, but judging, I mean, I guess you can only judge by my voice. Do you, do you think I'd be okay? How much do you weigh? Uh, I don't actually know. Uh, I got no muscles, you though. You got no muscle? <laughs> no. Well, this is what would be tough for you. I've never ran into a, um, a, a person with an English accent in here. Yeah. So a lot of the, the Neanderthals in here would be like, he's gay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. They just would assume or something, but uh, <laughs> this is what I tell people. If you come to prison, and especially if you come to like a minimum security prison like I'm at now, I had to go to level, I had to go to maximum for years. That's a different, whole different ballgame. So if you call, if you were to come here, you'd be fine. There's so many cameras up now, and it's the violence has really dropped off a lot. If you know, if you don't gamble, if you're not a dope... You have one minute remaining. If you're not borrowing money using drugs or being disrespectful, intelligence goes a long way in here. You okay. know what I mean? To, to keep you out of trouble. Yeah, I don't have much of that either, so I, I might be in trouble. <laughs> no, I don't believe that. So when you first got in there, uh, you were in for in the hole for 17 days. Now, the hole is, I imagine that means solitary confinement. I mean, what was that like? Yeah, well, that was right when I got out of the hospital, so that was solitary confinement in county. Thank you for using GTL. I hope it works. Your call was not accepted. Please try again later. It's just weird because there's no way, there's no way to call him back. I can't just send him a text message like until tomorrow or something. Maybe because this time was on loudspeaker, last time wasn't. Nah, it's stupid. Yeah, it's stupid. There's no way to get him, is there? To do mum? Yeah, I'm messaging her already on Twitter saying that. Well, I'm sure it would work. If it doesn't work today, it will be tomorrow. No, I know, but I'm all prepared. I know, I know. Are you still taping this? Oh, yep. Yeah, yeah, if, yeah. if we get... I tried a couple different things. Um, there's little workarounds. You're supposed to wait five minutes to call. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to keep trying until... Yeah, I think I think it'll work now because I got this uh, on my computer, but I don't know if the sounds as good. But it should be fine. What were we just talking about? I got so stressed out by the phone. You're talking about you asked me about being in the hole for 17 days. Yeah. So that's right after I got out of the hospital because um, I had to go to the hospital when I caught my case, Hmm. and so that was that was right after that. And I was in that was in county jail, so I sat in the hole in county jail and just a single man cell. With literally nothing in there for 17 days. Well, for most of the time. I think I got like a little disposable toothbrush and soap like a couple days in. Mm-hmm. But um, that 17 days was like where I either had to figure out how to be successful killing myself or figure out how to uh, go about never letting that shit happen again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Was it help- a helpful 17 days in the end? Uh, well, yeah, the result was, but I, ha- I that's, it was the most... So should we, can we talk a little bit about my case and so like maybe people can get a little better understanding of like what it would be like. Because it'd be terrifying enough if someone snatched you out of your house and threw you in 
a cell for 17 days. But after everything that happened with me, like my entire life went away. Yeah, that was, that was, uh, yeah, ne- my next question. I was, I was gently building into it. Uh, <laughs> that I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to jump it, you know, down your throat about what must be a very emotional, uh, night and an emotional years leading up to that night so so yeah but by all means to take us through it this is like one of the the stories that i haven't told that much i tell to people in here like when i get close to them and stuff but it's so close and personal that it's hard i suffered with depression for a long time i think i was 13 when i got diagnosed and put on so off we're so quick to just medicate people here you know like i don't know you know i'm having this existential despair at like age 13 and my poor mom is like i don't know i'm like basically like crying in the car she picked me up from junior high school and and i'm like asking her what's the meaning of life everything seems so meaningless everything's pointless just a melancholy way too i'm way too young to be going through this but i'm going through it and she doesn't really know what to do so she takes me to the she kind of throws her hands and takes me to the doctor and i get put on um, depression medicine i'll put on zoloft and didn't like it, so I got off it for a while, and I ended up drinking a lot. My depression led to an addiction as a coping mechanism, and I ended up, I ended up moving up to Northern Michigan and like getting off everything for the first time in years. You know, I'm going to methadone clinics and been on opioid maintenance things, and uh, I sobered up and met this amazing woman, Monica, who was just. Just a, we, like, we just fit together so perfectly. She's just a, a saint. But she still had a, a slick sense of humor and was funny. But, you know, she had no problem. I'm more of an alpha type personality, a type, you know, and she was fine being the, the beta to it. And we just we complement each other perfect. And uh, I'd never even had a pregnancy here or anything. And I get her, get her pregnant. Just never knew my dad. So I mean, this is going to be great. I'm going to have this kid. He said, this is this girl I love. And she's. You know, the first woman I've ever been with that I love more as time goes on instead of, like, losing novelty and whatever. So, I, you know, I get a job. I buckle down. I'm doing my thing. I have insurance. And I feel like the depression, the lingering depression shit coming back. And then my next my next coping mechanism, I'm like, I want to start using. So I need, I had too much to lose at this point. My son had been born and stuff. So I went and got on. I was seeing a site. My insurance is paying for it. I got. I let him put me back on depression meds, which I probably, in hindsight, I shouldn't have done. And um, ended up losing my job at some point. I get a new job, but I lose my insurance. And the way it is in America, you have to be work. If your job is going to offer you health insurance, you have to be working there for 90 days. So in the, in that beginning phase, I can't. I'm not even eligible to get um, insurance with my new job because I've been there long enough. And so when I'm yanked off these antidepressants, my brain's like haywire. It's like spiraling you know what i mean yeah is, is it like a withdrawal kind of thing like you're so used to them and then suddenly coming off of them um yeah but it's not a, like as much a physical withdrawal as it's like it's mental like i felt it's just upstairs you know what i mean i wasn't like sick or anything like that i just i could tell my brain was like was just spiraling you know i'd go through real these mood swings i'd be i'd be just in these really deep depressions and then i'd drink and 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 I was doing the wrong things. I was like self-medicating. You know what I mean? I'm like, well, I'm going to go back to what I know doing. I'll pop pills and drink and, and just try to like power through it. It wasn't working. I was spiraling. And uh, one night I was just, uh, I'd hit a wall and I was like, I'm just going to do it this time. So I went home and I, I was walking around the neighborhood. I went up and I have a, a legal gun of a 45 and I went and grabbed it and the magazine wasn't in there or anything because you know, Monica had knew that I was like, I tried to hurt myself before. So I think she hid the magazine. 
Yeah. But I, in my mind, I'm like, I don't need the fucking magazine. I know where my bullets are. So I went downstairs and she's up in the room. We had a little townhouse. So she's up in, upstairs in the room. And at, listen, at any, at no point in this, when I'm giving you reasons, I, I'm a piece of shit. I was being selfish and I was confused and hurt and not working right mentally. And none of these things are, I still made the decision to be a selfish pussy and, and try to take the easy way out. But I didn't know I was, I was messed up, man. Yeah. So I know I know that a lot of people say it's cowardly the cowardly way out, but at the same time it's it's I could never do that because I'd never be brave enough to pull a trigger on my on my head. Do you know Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's sort of both yeah, cowardly yeah. and brave. Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying, and I don't disagree with you. And that's probably a crude way of me to put it. What I'm basically saying is I'm not the victim here. Mm. As much as there were things that were like going wrong, at the end of the day, I still. I just don't want to come off like I'm painting myself as like the ultimate victim here because I'm not. Okay. Someone else lost their life. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I go, so basically I go down and I was, I, I, I don't know how, if you guys don't have a lot of handguns and stuff over there, but I, no. I, I don't need the magazine because I know where the bullets are. So I slide the chamber back and then you can drop one single round in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I drop a single round in the side of the gun and it slides in the chamber and then I release the slide and it slides into place. But I'm not thinking that doing that the hammer's now cocked back usually if you just loaded the bag the hammer wouldn't be cocked back like that mm. so i go sit on the stairs of the townhouse and monica comes out and she's like you know crying and i say go and go in the room go in the room so she goes in the room i hear the door shut and i'm sitting on the stairs and i got my feet i'm probably five or six steps up so i got my feet on the step under me which kind of like pops my knees up like close to you know up higher than they would be if you're sitting on a bench or something yeah. So my knees are high on me, and I got my elbows on my knees, and I'm crying, and I've got the gun, and I'm, you know, uh, I got one hand on my head, and the other hand's like leaning against the top of my head, and I'm trying to get the nerve up to do it, and uh, I dip my head down, and when I dip my head down, the gun like slides almost to the side of my head, but it's pointing up the stairs, and it goes off right next to my ear. Um, this, this gun had like a, a had a problem when the trigger was cocked like that, but I don't know if my finger hit the thing or, or what. I didn't pull it, but it something hit it and it went off right by my ear. Mm. And so as soon as it goes off, something hits me in the back. Like I'm like, what the fuck? And um, it was Monica. And I didn't. It didn't make sense. I thought at first I thought she fainted because she was like so scared, and then the gun went off or something. And so I drag her, I, I pick her up and I pull her downstairs and get on the phone and call 911 and I'm freaking out and there's no blood or anything. So I'm still confused. I'm like trying to wake her up and I'm just slowly things are like starting to click. Like what's, she's not responding. What's going on? And then I get through to 911 and I'm, you know, this is the address. This is what happened. And I perform CPR on her and uh, hmm. there's, I see like a little spot of blood on her back and um, blood comes out the side of her mouth. <clears throat> and uh, I realized it all clicked. Like I'm like, holy shit. Like what I didn't, know was I guess she had come out while I was still down there and was standing at the top of the stairs and it turned when when the gun went off it went off like like one in a million like up the stairs in her lower back and then traveled up into her brain and killed her instantly and well, the cops came and another door was open and she was right by the front door so I, as soon as the cops came out I was like okay they can take care of her they can help her at this point I don't know really I'm thinking she's, she could still be fine so 
I run back to get another round to finish it and do the same thing. And as soon as I chamber it this time, it goes off, boom, again, like instantly, like the trigger was messed up and it went through my hand. And I seen when that happened that the cops weren't coming in because I was in there with a goddamn gun. So I threw it down and then they take me to surgery and then I wake up out of surgery. And then I remember, I'll never forget this. I asked the nurse, I, the first thing I say when I wake up, is she okay? Was she okay? And the nurse looks at me like real, like disgusted with me. And she goes, you know what, you know what you did. And I remember it's like that. I'm like, what? Like, she thinks I did this on, you know what I mean? Like, it's really, yeah. it still sits with me heavy. Like, and so that is the setting that I went into 17 days in a hole. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on what could go right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. So I went to the hole and I didn't know what happened to my kid, um, his sister who I've been raising since she was like five. And um, I, I didn't know anything. My whole life just evaporated and I'm just sitting in the cell for 17 days with nothing. Like yeah. just complete silence and a fluorescent light buzzing above me. My God. And, uh, did the children witness uh, what happened? Yeah. Um, yeah. To, well, no, the, his, Cash's sister didn't. But mm. Cash's had come out. Cash's was out. 
Mm-hmm. Well, actually, when she fell down the stairs, he came like bumping along too. So she might have been holding. I don't know if she was holding him or if he was just up there. Or what? Yeah, he he he, he saw that. How old was he? He's about to turn ten. But at the time, he was three at the time. Oh, he was three. three at the time. There's so much to unpack in that in that story. I mean, because especially from a British point of view, because firstly, the insurance issue uh, is something we talk about a lot when we talk about America, because we know that you know we've got the National Health Service in England in the UK. The other thing we have one minute remaining. Uh, the other thing is, uh, yeah, the gun. I mean, I saw when you wrote about it on the website, it was so casual, just like, so I went up to get the gun and it's just like, in, again, in Britain, it would just be such a, what gun? No one, I don't know, I've never seen a gun in my in my life. I don't, well, I've seen one. Um, yeah, we have way too many. You know, I didn't get to mention this, but, mm. you know, when I got sentenced, there's all these mitigating circumstances that the judge is supposed to take into consideration. And I had tried and it's documented. I went to community, called community mental health and tried to get help because I was spiraling. I went to actually went to a doctor's appointment and the doctor I was going to pay out of pocket couldn't accept me because she's had no more um, vacancies for patients. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I literally did almost everything I could proactively like before I hit this wall, you know, and just, just was getting worked out. Man, it's so sad. Thank you for using GTL. To accept this call, press Zero. Your current balance is $9.99. Hello. It's working well now. All right, good. 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 So where were we? Yeah, I was just going to say, so it's funny. When I read about your story, I read about it on on the website for your podcast. um, And... It was very, it's very sad. It's, you know, you wrote it how you just told it now, I suppose. And when I told people I knew, oh, I was going to be interviewing you and I told them what happened, a lot of them were quite suspicious. Uh, I suppose like the nurse that you just described, was there a lot of that? I mean, what, what was her, her family's reaction, for example, Monica's family? Well, we were close, right? And, um, I think there was some of that, and I listen. It's completely understandable. If if, if one thing was different, if she had come out a second earlier or a second later, if I would sat on a different step, if I would have any, if anything was different, none of this would have happened. The bullet would have went into a wall, or you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but right afterwards, so the cops are initially. I mean, look what it looks like. It does look like. I mean, what are the chances that you're trying to kill yourself and you accidentally shoot someone? Yeah. But uh, right away. I was like, take, give me a lie detector test. Give me a lie detector. And I have no history of domestic violence or anything like that. And we've never had any problems. We weren't fighting. You know what I mean? Nothing was going on. And there's a plethora of instances of me trying to kill myself over those last couple of weeks, those last couple of weeks, and even prior to that. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, of moments like that. And it's all through my history. So there were initial things. And the news kind of, the news took like an old, um, I, uh, old mugshot of a DUI that I had that I told that I'd mentioned before. I said, if I ever get another, if I ever get a mugshot, I'm smiling in it. So I was smiling in it. The news took that and put that on television. So oh a bunch God. of people were like, "Look, he's smiling. He know, you know, he knows what he did." Type shit. And um, it really made me look at news a lot differently. But yeah, people thought that eventually, uh, initially, and um, it's understandable. And the cops kept questioning me, and then I did the lie detector test, and they brought an FBI agent in to question me, and I told them. You know, my story never changed. It's exactly what happened. I know it. Listen, if I was going to make up a story, it'd be a little, it wouldn't be as 
it was just, it's, I don't know how I would have had, whatever. So, um, they went and did ballistic tests and trajectory and the lie detector. And, you know, after a little bit, they came back and were like, yeah, he's, yeah, well, he didn't, you know, I was never charged with anything else. You know what I mean? The cops were like, yeah, it's a crazy story, but everything matches everything he said. I mean, mm. the trajectory of where it entered and all that stuff. And, you know, that yeah. really bothers me. That's one of the reasons that I, I was like, I can't just tell the story. Like, oh, yeah, I tried to kill myself and I accidentally shot the love of my life. Really? You know what I mean? And she died. Like, you have to explain the intricacies of, like, how that even happens. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, it's still hard. Like, one of the things that really made me question after all this was, like, the idea of, like, fate or, you know what I mean? Like, what, like I said, it's, it's a hard thing to get your head around when it would be, like, if anything was different. It's like, just if one little thing was different, none of this shit would have happened. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like this causal chain that just, if there was just one little hiccup in that causal chain, like, you know, it wouldn't have happened. The way the criminal justice system over here goes is they charge you heavy, right? They'll yep. charge you. It's like a, it's like gambling, you know, they'll try to bluff you. They'll charge, they'll charge you with first degree murder. And then you'll say, well, no, I'm taking that to trial. And they'll go, well, all right, we'll give you second degree murder. Mine was never like that. They went through all the evidence and were like, oh yeah, he's, telling the truth or you know what I mean passive lie detector all that stuff and so uh, I just got charged with involuntary manslaughter and kind of fucked up because so so after all this stuff happened I instantly I, I went through these this like really like I don't know if you guys have the term I'm not religious but this come to Jesus moment where you're like okay well look at what you did like look what happened because I have mental health issues and stuff like that yeah. But one of the choices I realized I did have that I kind of neglected was working on my own mental health throughout my life. And I'd never done that. And so when I was in that cell for those 17 days and between like fits of like exhaustion and crying and all that shit, I like was, I had to make the decision. Like I'll never let that happen again, whatever it takes, meditating every day, figuring out what's wrong with my brain, all that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And her family. So they, did they, did you speak to her parents, for example? No, no, they're, uh, they're, uh, understandably just want nothing to do with me. If I have to be their villain, like if being their villain makes their life any easier, which I don't believe having a villain to blame does necessarily, but if it does, then I'll be that. I can, mm. I can be a monster to them if they need me to be, if it helps them at all, you know what I mean? I suppose it's just that, I mean, the fact that the bullet went in through the side of the back is what probably makes people concerns what what why did that happen well it was it went up uphill like i went up the trajectory of the stairs and went in the lower back mm. up like so but the side though like she was she must have been turning around okay so like turn back around to go back in the room or something yeah um i didn't know i didn't see her you know what i mean yeah but that's the where the, the trajectory it wasn't like right dead it was like on the side of her back you know what I mean? Like in between. Okay. So I hope you don't think I'm I'm like prying too much or or, or being accusatory. It's just it's, you know I've got to ask ask the questions. But it does sound like a horrible horrible accident. It really does. Um, yeah. I mean, do do it's a it's a really it's almost a stupid question. But I mean, do, do you miss her? I miss her in like, uh, 
Yeah, that's true. I have a, on my uh, cork board in my prison cell, I got a picture of her right there every morning. So, yeah, before I go to bed every night, when I wake up every morning. She was uh, the best best person I've ever known, really. I'd tell her to go find someone else if she needed to, but she would be right by my side. She'd be the most proud of me for the shit I've written and got published. And, and the pot. She just was my, yeah, I miss her. <laughs> that word is not even uh, big enough to encompass belonging I have I dream about it all the time oh man I guess you just have all the time in the world to think about it as well yeah I had a you know that's what those 17 days where it was like it's this world and chaos of uh, thoughts and and regrets and what is bargaining and you know all these different things to where I came out I came out the other end a different person with the like promise and understanding that um, a suicide's clearly out of an option, uh, not an option for me anymore. Because like another thing that hit me was that like after all this pain of missing her, right, yeah. missing my kid and, and all this other thing, I realized like so clearly, obviously too late, that if I was successful, I would have put her right in the pain that I'm feeling now, yeah. and I was willing to do that. I was willing to put her into that, and now I have to sit with that pain that I was so neglectfully, so irresponsibly willing to give everyone I care about, my mom, everyone in my life, I was willing to put them through the shit that I have to feel now. Yeah. You know, and that's like super eye-opening, and it's like, okay, no matter how tough life gets, no matter how depressed you get, this is no longer an option for you. I spoke to your your mom, as you know, and and, uh, she kept saying I was a saint, um, and she just seemed very lovely. Um, and yeah, that she would not have, I, I imagine dealt very well had you, had you gone through with it in the end. Yeah. I used to, um, have these phone conversations with her where I would be like on the verge and I would get mad at her and I'd call her selfish for not giving me the okay to like, uh, <laughs> guilt free to, to, to kill myself, get guilt free and oh, I'd man. be crying and she'd be crying and all that shit. And, uh, yeah. I put her through a lot, man. Yeah, I does she? Does she have? Do you have siblings? I got a sister. Okay. A younger sister. Yeah. What about your your son? Then do you, do you see him? Will you be able to see him? When everything happened, I didn't have any legal say over a sister, and I knew I wasn't going to separate them from each other after they just lost both their parents. Yeah. I'm not. I can't separate them, so I just gave custody to uh, Monica's parents. You know, and then my, my parents came up right afterwards, and they would uh, get him like every, like every other week, and uh, I'd talk to him and just write him like just ledgers full of uh, letters and stuff like that. Um, Do you look forward to hopefully being part of his life again when you get out of prison? Yeah, yeah. I uh, we've always we've got such a good relationship that I know even if he doesn't remember everything, I know he'll have that that unspeakable inner positivity when he thinks about me and. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, yeah, yeah, I look forward to that. I look forward to a lot of stuff, and uh, hmm. that's definitely at the top of the list. Okay. Um, I think I've got enough. I mean, is there, is there something uh, that that I've missed out on that you'd, you'd really like to mention? Yeah, there is, and that's this. Like, I had to, um, I had to, I had to lose everything, right, to, like, kind of, hmm. to understand some, some simple things that I wish I would have had someone in my life to tell me at some point. And, and yeah, like, I have a predisposition to depression, yeah. But I've come to look at it more like 
well, there's people who have predisposition to diabetes, right? And at some point, they, they you, you know, you can need insulin and all that, but with the right exercise and diet, you can also do shit for yourself. I think if we do have free will, it might not be as grand as we think, and it and it might only be in not so much control in our, our outward circumstances as much as we like to think, but definitely if it does exist, it exists in how we choose to interpret those outward things. And that you have one minute remaining. We kind of define our reality um, as good or bad, like preconceived. So like if you lose your job, you're like, oh, that's a terrible thing. And I'm going to, you almost kind of make it a reality like that. And instead of redefining your perspective as to what's good and bad, if I would have learned that sooner, um, I think I could have avoided a lot of shit. And I, I just pray that you don't have to go through what the, what I went through to like, reach this like this deeper understanding and if anyone can learn from me and my experience it's that's what i owe them that's what you know that would be the greatest thing ever thank you for using gtl to accept this call press zero no like never questioned whether i you know what i mean who who knows me and me and monica never ever questioned whether it was intentional or not even her even her uh, mom at the uh, sentencing was like you know i know it was a mistake but Whatever. Um, That, like, um, I I don't, it's not a good feeling I have, but that doesn't, like I said, with redefining shit, that doesn't mean it's not what needed to happen. And I understand you asking those things. And those are things that I always worry about because I'm so close to the situation and I know, you know, the reality of it. And I can't ever get a full read on that. I'm like, I should, I would be, before any of this happened to me, I would be super um, suspicious, probably. You know what I mean? It's so hard, man. I've I've watched uh, like series on this kind of thing. There was one called uh, "Making a Murderer," um, which was all about this. And episode after episode with a guy who we, who nobody knows if he did it or not. And all yeah, I was thinking, yeah, junkyard and the new, yeah, that's right. And I just, yeah, I mean, you, <laughs> only you know that's the thing. But it it, it does sound like a, a much more, you know. Um, open and shut case kind of thing from what you've said. Uh, I, I hope you don't think I'm doubting or anything like that. It was just, I have to ask, you know, what, what the family would think and understand, as you say, understandably, they, there must just be too much emotion there. Yeah. And, um, sometimes I'll watch it where like people forgive like a stranger they didn't know who actually murdered one of their family members. And I, I'll watch him go, man, for their sake, I wish they could forgive me. But, uh, yeah, I, I didn't really think, feel like you were like questioned, but it just, it just like exposes like a nerve in yeah. me when I realized that like, oh yeah, people could still think that, that you did it. On, and that would just really hurt me, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, people will, people will that. think that, man. I, I, you know, unfortunately they, they just, as, as you would, if it was someone else, I, I no one, no one will be sure, but it's going to be at the back of their mind and that's just nothing you can change, is it? Yeah, well, I don't, I mean, it's a, I mean, critical thinking seems to be like a, uh, a failing art or an atrophy uh, attribute of, of, especially over here in America. Yeah. But like with the guy you were talking about, the making of a murderer, yeah. that guy had like a history of like sexual assault and shit like that and rape and you know what I mean? Yeah. That makes it a little more like, eh, there's nothing. I mean, if you look, believe me, in the American prison system, the way I look, I'm a brown person with tattoos mm. in a predominantly white area, if they had any doubt about this, they would have charged me with murder. No questions asked. They would have loved to do that. Yeah. So that's how I'm like kind of feeling after the whole thing, which is yeah. uncomfortable isn't always a bad thing, especially when you're doing something 
that shit that you want to reach people with. You know what I mean? This conversation was always going to always going to make you feel a bit uncomfortable at times, wasn't it? I mean, I'm glad you you agreed to do it. It's, it's a fascinating story. Do you, do you ever imagine this podcast, your podcast, going out to Monica's parents and her, them finding it and, and listening to it? Um, I don't think like that. I'm sure they will. I mean, it's getting pretty popular. Um, yeah. And if they do, they do. I mean, there's nothing. I just can't do anything with that information. If they're going to hear it, they're going to hear it. I'm not going to, you know, like I said, one of my main responsibilities I feel now is to try to package some of the shit I've learned at such a heavy cost. And, to, and, and just in the hopes that a couple people might get it. And I've had really inspiring, uplifting responses. My chain is full of people who reach out to me and they're like, listen, I'm going through this. My wife and kids left me. And, you know, I, you know, um, so yeah, they, I mean, I don't think I wouldn't worry, worry about them hearing it. I, I actually hope they hear it at some point. I'm so, so sorry for, for what's happened in your life before Monica and then and then what happened that fateful night and, and since then. I, I really am. I think it's it's just such an unfortunate set of events and it's 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 horrific. And I'm I'm really sorry that you've you've had to go through that. Thank you. That uh thank you. It means a lot. And uh I can't uh you know, when I'm a, when I'm in my cell at night you know, this shit gets a little heavy sometimes, but, you know, I just, uh, I can't, like, wallow in that, and I get it, but I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. It means a lot, and, uh, yeah, I appreciate that, man. Do you... It's just something I'm going to have to live with for the rest of my life, you know, so... That was, without a doubt, one of the toughest interviews I've ever done. We only skimmed the surface about life in prison and Bobby's relationship with drugs, depression, and of course, Monica. But we kept it fairly short because I wanted to remain focused and on topic. But to give you an insight into how much more there is to it, in his podcast, Notes from the Pen, they've done almost 30 episodes without even getting to the description of the night in question. So if you're hungry for more, type Notes from the Pen into whatever podcast platform you're using. Next week isn't certain yet. I've got something lined up that's totally different. I think I've got Coffin Confessioner William Edgar, an Australian private detective whose job it is to get into his clients' houses after they die to remove any embarrassing material or to turn up at funerals and reveal secrets to people from the dead. So make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss that. And if you're on Apple or Stitcher, leave a nice five-star review, please. And make sure to tell a friend to listen because if everyone does that, the audience will double each week. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.